Coming up on Harvard Chan This Week in Health, India's rapid epidemiological transition. We now have higher prevalence of diabetes in urban areas in India than in people who migrate from India to the U.S. So in the past, you used to migrate to the U.S. and have a higher risk of diabetes because we have this obesogenic environment here. Now, it seems that if you migrate to the U.S., there's some protection from diabetes. In this week's episode, a massive new study finds high rates of diabetes and hypertension in India. We'll speak to experts about what could be driving this trend and how health systems in India and around the world must adapt to address the growing threat from non-communicable diseases. Hello and welcome to Harvard Chan This Week in Health. It's Thursday, March 8th, 2018. I'm Noah Lovett. Amy Monomiro is off this week. In this week's episode, we're taking a closer look at the growing threat posed by non-communicable diseases, or NCDs, worldwide. Now, NCDs are conditions like heart disease, hypertension, diabetes, or cancer. According to the WHO, NCDs kill about 40 million people each year, with 80% occurring in low- and middle-income countries. And that's an important point. NCDs are often perceived as a problem for high-income nations, but as the world rapidly develops and urbanizes, more countries are grappling with these chronic diseases. This shift will put a strain on health systems, many of which simultaneously face substantial burdens of infectious diseases and poor maternal and child health. And that includes India, which was the focus of a massive new study we'll be talking about today. Researchers in the Department of Global Health and Population at the Harvard Chan School collected data from a nationally representative sample of more than 1.3 million people and found high rates of diabetes and hypertension across the country. Overall prevalence of diabetes was 6.1% among women and 6.5% among men. When it came to hypertension, prevalence was 20% among women and 24.5% among men. Researchers say the findings highlight what they call India's rapid epidemiological transition. We'll be taking a look at this research in three parts. First, we'll be looking at the findings from the study. Then we'll broaden things out a bit to explain what an epidemiological transition actually is, and look at some of the potential drivers of NCDs in India and elsewhere. And then finally, the big picture view. How should we redesign health systems so they're able to address these chronic conditions? And while the findings from India showed overall high prevalence of diabetes and hypertension, Pascal Geldsetzer, a third-year doctoral student and one of the paper's authors, told us that rates varied widely among India's states. One unit we looked at was the state level because many health system functions in India are organized at the state level. Um, so, so it made sense to use that as a geographic unit. And here we saw that the, the crude prevalence of diabetes, for example, varied from 3.2% to 19.9% and for hypertension from 18.0% to 41.6%. So there's, there's a huge amount of variation between the different states in India. And, and just I think it just shows how heterogeneous a country India really is. And, and you can almost think of it as, as, as a continent with different countries rather, rather than as a country with different states, I think. And Geltzesser says that these state-level variations are really important because they can help inform how government might respond to non-communicable diseases. So I think this geographic variation can certainly inform where you would want to implement certain programs in, in a scenario of limited resources and you, you can't afford implementing a pro program everywhere in India. 
you might well uh, prioritize those states that have the highest prevalence of diabetes and hypertension, for instance. And then apart from that, we it's it's obviously you can you can try targeting by age group and rural versus urban areas also to some extent. But really, we saw high prevalence of these conditions throughout um, the population groups, and that really would go more than in the direction of population level. Um, policies where you're really trying to not just target it at specific population groups, but at the entire population, like a sugar tax, for example, um, as an, yeah, just as one example, these sort of policies that would affect the entire population. In order to effectively target interventions to address diabetes and hypertension, it's critical to understand what's driving the high rates of these conditions. And that's what we're going to focus on in the second part of our podcast. We spoke to Lindsay Jacks, another author of this study and an assistant professor in the Department of Global Health and Population. We spoke to her shortly after she returned from a month-long trip to India, where she led a course that focused on fieldwork related to non-communicable diseases. And she helped put what we're seeing in India in perspective. We now have higher prevalence of diabetes in urban areas in India than in people who migrate from India to the U.S. So in the past, you used to migrate to the U.S. and have a higher risk of diabetes because we have this obesogenic environment here. Now, it seems that if you migrate to the U.S., there's some protection from diabetes, which suggests that in urban areas of India, um, Chennai and Delhi specifically, where this data is coming from, where, where this was analyzed, um, there's some exposure that's really increasing people's risk. And I think that part of the equation is environmental exposures. Um, the environmental exposures in Delhi and Chennai and other parts of India are so much higher than what we see in the U.S. now. And I think that trying to understand and quantify that you know, risk is of great interest. Um, and I think that we need that to actually have strong policies in place and government support for those policies and enforcement of those policies um, to move forward on this. And, and again, you know, I, I really don't think that we can address the diabetes epidemic without addressing environmental exposures. We'll be talking more about environmental exposures in a few minutes. But first, as we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, researchers say these findings highlight the nature of India's rapid epidemiological transition. And so I asked Jax to explain what that means, and then we'll dive into more of my conversation with her about the factors driving high rates of NCDs in India and elsewhere. The epi transition is one of the mainstays of global health um, and demography, I would say. Um, it's basically the transition from um, what we consider the classic um, global health issues of maternal, high maternal mortality, high under five mortality from things like um, respiratory you know, acute respiratory infections and diarrheal diseases um, and um, in the neonatal period, first 28 days of life, high mortality in that area. Um, and kind of as we've addressed that through development and, um, you know, public health, global health interventions, we've seen um, a decline, decline in mortality in that age group and an increase in life expectancy. Um, and so people are dying at older ages and from different diseases. And that's why um, NCD the non-communicable diseases are increasingly of interest in global health. And, we're, and I mean, India is not unique in this sense. This is something that, that we're seeing in a lot of countries now, right? Yep, yep. Um, right? Yep, yep. Um, I have not seen a country yet that is not undergoing this transition. Um, India is, is really interesting because it's 
well, A, because it's such a big country, um, but also because the transition has happened um, very, very quickly. So um, about a month ago now, I guess, um, one of the largest um, collaborations ever um, that's been part of the Global Burden of Disease Project, this um, India Collaborators for the Global Burden of Disease, published a paper in The Lancet actually on the epidemiological transition in India. Um, and the, it was the first um, state-by-state um, quantification of the epi transition. And they found in 15 years, Every state has um, fully transitioned to having the majority of deaths be from NCDs rather than the classical maternal and child health and um, communicable diseases. And so, for the global health community, is this is this kind of I don't know if it's I don't know if surprising the right word, but is it kind of forcing people in global health to maybe rethink you know the way they're kind of approaching these countries because it is shifting from like you said you know, maternal mortality, et cetera, to maybe these longer-term diseases like diabetes and hypertension? I think it's definitely um, shifting the way that we think about um, health systems, for example, um, and what health systems need to be able to, um, you know, provide to citizens. Um, I think that because, so this transition is occurring, but it doesn't mean that those, you know, communicable diseases and maternal and child mortality are not issues. They still are issues. um, And in a country, like India, the numbers are still very high in absolute terms for those um, diseases. So I don't think that everyone in global health should all of a sudden start <laughs> studying um, NCDs because there is this unleft agenda um, of, of communicable diseases, and there still are high rates of um, under five mortality and maternal morta- mortality that I think we need to continue to address. Same thing with undernutrition. Um, and as climate change, you know, is occurring, I think while we've seen this epidemic transition occur um, with climate change, you know, we could see ourselves going back to having high rates of undernutrition because of um, food insecurity that may arise from shifts in climate um, that lead to lower um, lower food production. So I don't think that we should, you know, abandon those traditional uh, global health issues, but I do think that we need to start to think about NCDs and, and um, we do see that in the Harvard School of Public Health. More and more people are starting to study that, including students and faculty. And so I know this most recent study found um, kind of high rates of diabetes and hypertension across the board in India. But there was also, we I talked about this with Pascal, that there was also this really interesting variation kind of depending on like state and geographic region. So what I guess what are some of the takeaways from those findings that there are high rates across the board, but also these kind of really significant variations? Most states in India are bigger than most countries in Europe. So um, which is, is such an interesting thing to talk about. Um, as you know, I just got back from this um, field trip where we had 11 um, master's students from Harvard traveling around India and talking about NCDs. And, you know, we're in Madhya Pradesh, which I think the population is like 79 million, and they have 22, um, you know, mental certified mental health um, workers, psychologists. So it's just like, <laughs> you know, bigger than most European countries, but um, has fewer, you know, mental health practitioners than Brookline. So it's a very interesting country in that way, because it's so huge. And I think we all struggle 
to really comprehend how big India actually is. Um, and the healthcare system in India, because it's so big, is run at the state level. And so I think a lot of the state, um, the statewide variation that we see in all health outcomes is stemming partially from the state level healthcare system implementation. Um, and you know we see north south gradients or you know more broader regional gradients, and some of that may relate to um, you know more historical um, and cultural differences that you see from North India to South India. Um, and, and that leads to differences in dietary intake, differences in, um, you know, sociodemographic indica- indicators. Um, and so I think there are a lot of, a lot of things that are contributing and I don't think we'll figure out what specific things um, are explaining all of the variation that we see. Um, But because it is at the state level in terms of health systems, um, working with, you know, state level governments will be critical for uh, addressing, you know, the numbers that we see across states and getting those numbers to states, um, especially the ones that have high prevalence of, of diabetes and hypertension will be critical. And you kind of mentioned a few minutes ago this idea of making sure health systems are prepared to deal with increasing rates of NCDs. So I guess in the case of India, where so much is run at the state level, what like what would that look like in terms of strengthening the health system to better manage, respond to NCDs? Yeah. The number one thing is increased investment. The Indian government right now is investing, um, I think it's only two, two and a half percent maybe of GDP, maybe not even, um, certainly under five percent of GDP compared to say 20 percent in the U.S. So there's just not much money going into the health system and healthcare in India. Um, And so I think that that's really an area where we just have to have more investment and more money going into um, into the health system. And so I know a lot of your focus is on nutrition and also kind of interventions to address diabetes and hypertension. So are there, is there anything from the findings from this recent paper that maybe might inform what future interventions look like? Do we have a sense of what can work to prevent diabetes and hypertension in a country like India? I think this paper in particular um, for me is informative for trying to understand which groups need to be targeted for these these sorts of interventions. Unfortunately, we found that the prevalence is high across almost all of the, the socio-demographic groups that we looked at, so that suggests that um, the classic, um, you know, community-based interventions in high-risk individuals may, you know, I think they're important, but I think higher-level policies that influence um, food systems, environmental exposures, these are going to be much more important in, in India because the risk is so high across all of the groups that we looked at in, in all adults. Um, and so those kinds of things would look like, um, you know, taxes on um, highly processed foods that are high in sugar, not just sugar sweetened beverages, but also I think, um, you know, more traditional highly processed Indian sweets, um, which we find are much more prevalent than sugar sweetened beverages actually, which is a bit different than Latin America where we see much higher sugar sweetened beverages. So taxes on soda are much more effective in Latin America than I think they'll be in India, though that will change over time as the epidemiological transition continues. Um, 
I think that policies that encourage um, consumption of whole wheat um, in the north, um, so whole wheat um, breads in the north, versus and um, you know higher fiber rice, not necessarily brown rice, um, but higher fiber strains of rice, um, which some of my colleagues at um, MDRF, the Madras Diabetes Research Foundation, are working on developing. Um, so breeding high fiber um, white rice so that it's more pal palatable to diabetes patients. Um, but also has a uh, lower glycemic index um, is, is of interest. So I think that there are some innovative approaches that can kind of lead to um, healthier, healthier population level dietary patterns um, that could be useful in the long run in terms of preventing across all of these different uh, sociodemographic groups. And then, of course, um, environmental exposures, which is a huge, huge health risk in India right now, um, and just increasing at, at a pace that we just have never seen um, from air pollution, which has been linked to um, cardiometabolic risk, especially hypertension and stroke, um, to pesticide exposures, which are strongly linked to endocrine disruption um, and, and diabetes risk. So I think that without addressing all of these exposures, um, we won't see any dent in, in future risk of diabetes and hypertension because um, these things are, are not going down and there aren't any policies that are being implemented to address them right now. seems like there's more that can be done from the nutrition side, like you said, the partnerships with agriculture, but from the environmental exposure side, it seems like it's much more dependent on a policy response. So, I mean, where, like, where, do, where do things stand in India, for example? Um, and I imagine what's you're seeing in India is probably similar to what's you know people are seeing in China. So wh where do things stand in yeah. that regard? Yeah, the environmental policy is again it's highly variable and at the, seems to be at the state level right now. Um, so when we talk about things like pesticides, for example, um, there are some states in southern India that have um, adopted pretty strong bans on things like DDT. Um, but then there are states like West Bengal that are still spraying DDT twice a year. So, um, you know, I think it's, again, probably going to be at the state level. Um, there's um, one state, Telangana, where Hyderabad is, um, and we're trying to start up an organic versus conventional farmer cohort because the state is really advocating for organic agriculture. Um, and so, you know, that's, you know, a beacon of hope potentially if these pesticides are associated with metabolic risk um, and we hope to collect some some hard data on whether or not that's true um, so again at the state level China is very different it's not there you don't see this there is state state to state variation in China um, but it's a very you know strong central government and so you don't see in terms of policy such big um, variation across states in, in policy implementation um, and they've done a really good job so far of addressing a lot of these environmental exposures so things like um, you know m when we look at um, breast milk samples, uh, which is kind of this way to monitor pesticide levels. Um, we've seen steady declines, actually, in China for many of the pesticides that have been looked at, whereas in India, it's um, flat. So uh, I think China is making progress on a lot of these environmental exposures. And as we've all seen in the news, um, they're actually driving the agenda when it comes to climate change. That was Lindsay Jacks talking about the factors behind NCDs in India and also potential interventions to address things like diabetes and hypertension. But as she discussed, India's health system is not currently equipped to deal with chronic diseases like those. So how should health systems be redesigned to address these new challenges? For that, we got some insight from Rafat Atun. 
the senior author of this India study and professor of global health systems at the Harvard Chan School. And he says this research, as we mentioned, a large nationally representative study of more than 1.3 million people, offers some important lessons for policymakers. I, I think this study is a perfect example of the dangers of using averages. Averages in countries like India are completely meaningless uh, because uh, the country is so rich in terms of culture, diversity, something to be celebrated, of course. But when it comes to health, we also see this diversity. And having a, a general policy for a condition like diabetes or for hypertension is completely meaningless. So the findings really um, stress the importance of having precise measurements that are granular uh, at the state level or even in the case of India at district level because districts are also fairly large in terms of population. So one can develop highly targeted policies um, in parts of the country that are, that are in different stages of epidemiological transition. Mm -hmm. I mean, the prevalence levels vary two, three, fourfold in different states among different states. Because these states are all maybe in different levels of econ economic transition as well, is one of the challenges in implementing an intervention also taking into account that this state might be more in a more advanced economic state than, than this state? So is that is that part of the challenge is adapting an intervention to what it may, maybe is possible from a resource perspective? Absolutely. Um, it's a really excellent point. So I think there are two considerations here. One is sort of the stage of transition. Secondly, uh, the capabilities that exist. It may be that uh, states that, have, that are further down the transition have greater capability in terms of health system resources or their application to address the problems. But they need to be applied to be effective. In the states that may be uh, less economically well-developed, where the prevalence might be lower, uh, there's an opportunity in the sense that these states will economically grow, mm -hmm. but there's an opportunity to invest in prevention and targeted policies to ensure that with economic transition, we're not seeing, or we can actually maybe bend the curve in terms of the increase in the prevalence of incidence and prevalence of diabetes and hypertension. Mm -hmm. So one has to take into account sort of resource capabilities and the stage of development and also how these resources can be used. So in low, less well-developed areas, there's going to be more resources needed, but they need to be the right resources applied to the right people. I know in the past we've talked about a, a separate paper looking at diabetes in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, and I, I remember in that conversation, one of the things we talked about was the idea of, you know, strengthening primary healthcare systems is so important for NCDs. Is that something that still holds in a country as large as India, that if you can strengthen that frontline primary healthcare system, you can make an impact on not just diagnosing diabetes, but then also treating it, working towards prevention, all those things? Absolutely. Uh, primary care in its broader sense uh, is critically important in, in managing diabetes and hypertension and other chronic conditions along the whole care continuum in terms of health, edu health education, um, having appropriate interventions to, uh, to ensure that people are not affected, and then the screening, and then diagnosis, treatment, and then effective management, effective control of those who are in treatment. And given that the uh, numbers are so large, that has to happen at primary care level. Also, primary care is um, where continuity of care 
can be provided, uh, ongoing care can be provided for these conditions. And often many of these people will have multiple conditions. So diabetes and hypertension plus one other. So there's multimorbidity. So having primary care that can focus on, on the person as opposed to just the disease is critically important in managing chronic illness. And is, is that also important too? Because I mean, even as NCDs rise, there are still going to be other issues, you know, maternal and newborn health, all, all of these kinds of persistent issues as well. So is, is that part of the, is that why it's also important to kind of focus on the person so that you're not just looking at NCDs, that you can kind of manage all of these health issues at the same time, ba- I guess, balance all the different priorities? The whole principle of um, the primary care is, is to have individually focused uh, services, health services, and health care services. Um, and this is important for um, antenatal care, but also for chronic disease, also for children's illnesses. For f- across all conditions, primary care is key to provide sort of the first contact, to provide comprehensive set of interventions, to provide continuity, but also coordinate the patient's journey within primary care, but also among different health specialists, but also across different levels, so that individuals are only referred to hospital when they're needed and much of the care can be take can take part in primary and at community uh, level improving primary care is an important first step but addressing ncds on a broad international scale will require more research to better understand the factors driving these conditions as well as the barriers to diagnosis and treatment that's why the department of global health and population launched its project on access to care for cardiometabolic diseases or hpac Atun explained that the group will be taking a broad, holistic view of NCDs, gathering data from dozens of countries. I think the difference of this group is that you know, it's focused on cardiometabolic disease, but also across many countries. But also it's beginning to ask important questions on, on the variation, uh, to really get to the, uh, understand how these conditions vary within and among countries. Um, as we've seen in India, averages are not terribly meaningful. Then once we're able to demonstrate variation, then ask the questions, why are we seeing this variation? Is it related to socioeconomic status? Is it related to geography? Is it related to transition, uh, nutritional transition, or is it economic transition? To try and understand the root causes of this variation. And then develop targeted policies um, in health systems, but beyond, uh, especially with diabetes and other cardiometabolic conditions. One has to think of... um, multi-sectoral interventions, for example, uh, low nutrition value but high calorie foods, Mm. Uh, for example, introducing taxes to to reduce uh, utilization of such such sort of beverages and foodstuff that are clearly very, um, uh, that have adverse effect on individuals. So the group is looking at the issues as a whole, uh, all the way from nutrition systems to health systems and the global systems in relation to um, sort of commercial products that are being provided. And Lindsay Jacks, who you heard from earlier, says this group and the data it gathers will help researchers answer really fundamental questions about individual experiences with NCDs 
and also with health systems. One of the things I'm increasingly interested in, um, especially after this past trip, um, this past past month that I spent in India, is trying to understand why individuals, um, especially individuals in rural, low-income countries, um, and this is probably true everywhere, but this is just the example that I have from this past trip, um, people don't want to know that they have diabetes or hypertension. Um, you know, they know that sugar and tension are out there. Um, when you talk to them about this, if you talk to your taxi driver in India, they know about sugar, they know about tension. Um, they don't want to know that they have it. And so it's very interesting because when we talk about these huge screening programs that the Indian government is rolling out, that's great. But if people aren't going to show up because they don't want to know, um, then, you know, this is a different kind of problem. And so I'm increasingly interested in trying to understand, um, you know, what's behind that and how can we change that and how can we um, make people feel empowered so that when they figure out that diagnosis, um, they realize that they can change and that lifestyle change, even lifestyle changes without, um, you know, Western, these Western medications, which is, seems to be what people don't want to be taking every day. Um, you know, without that, with just lifestyle changes, um, an adoption of healthy, you know, traditional diets, for example, um, reducing stress and increasing physical activity, you know, these, these pretty basic lifestyle changes can actually prevent risk very significantly. Um, and there's strong evidence for that from many different countries. So trying to um, shift people's perception in that way, I think, is, is a really interesting area that no one is really exploring right now. But um, in the future, I think that HPAC and other platforms would be a great place to explore those sorts of questions. Thank you to Pascal Galdsetzer, Lindsay Jacks, and Rafat Atun for sharing their insights on NCDs in India and globally. If you want to learn more about their work or HPAC, their new research collaborative, we'll have more information on our website, hsph.me slash thisweekinhealth. And a reminder that if you're a new listener, you can always find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify. 